welcome to this podcast. This is going to be about the life and times of Tim Peel. In this series of podcasts, I'm going to take you through my life from birth to retirement. I will be covering some of the major events in my life and some of the successes and failures that I've had during my lifetime. So sit back, strap yourself in, it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. Welcome to this podcast. This is episode two of the life and times of Tim Hill. This time we're going to take you from starting secondary school to leaving secondary school and all the antics that I got up to in between. So sit back and enjoy. It was during the early part of 1969 that we moved from Homestead Road round to Stockbridge Close and Ron moved in with us. Ron was mum's new boyfriend later to become her husband. Stockbeach Close was a block of new masonettes and we were on the upper floor of the masonette. Ron had been round for quite a while. He was an AA man and used to ride a motorbike and sidecar and worked out of the, the AA box on the A1 just outside of Hatfield. I got on well with Ron, as did my sisters. My dad at that time had moved in with Diane and was living over in St Albans. We didn't see him very often. When we did go over and see the old man, we got on all right with him and Diane. So it's now September 1969, and I start Onslow School for the first time. I was in year one, and in year one, there were six classes. There was one A and one one, one B and one two, one C and one three. Unfortunately, I ended up in one three, which was the, uh, shall we say, not so academically astute children. There was about 25 kids in each class. So there was around about 150 in the year. And I guess that was also reflected throughout the rest of the school, going up to about the fifth year and maybe the sixth year, maybe a few less in the sixth year. So as you can see, it was a pretty big school. The school itself was spread out over a large area and had lots of different buildings. There was the main school building, which was, I think, three or four storeys high. There was the science block. There was an art block. There was a, an engineering block, which did woodwork and metalwork. Uh, there was a drama block. There was also a cookery block and a large gymnasium and several sports pitches. So you can see it was fairly well spread out. And our classroom just happened to be a porter cabin. And we shared it with 1C. They were on the other side of the, the porter cabin to us. The porter cabin was our main classroom. We had registration, English and maths in there. For generally all the other subjects, we moved around the school. This was quite a new experience for me, I guess, and all the other kids. Moving around the school, going to different classes, different type of lessons to what we've ever had before. Still struggled with the English but I guess that's down to dyslexia. That was never picked up. I found that I was starting to enjoy school a little bit more. I particularly liked the practical subjects, metalwork and woodwork. Science, science was good fun. I wasn't over keen on history or religious education. And when it came to sport, well, we had a choice. Because I didn't like football, we were able to play rugby. So I got quite into rugby. I got into hockey. And in the, the summer term, we got into athletics. I was also a good cross-country runner. About a mile away, there was another school, Burley. 
which was closing down and being amalgamated with Onslow. We had to go down there sometimes for different classes because of the size of the school now. Basically, there were two routes there, both by foot. One was a more direct route, which skirted round the town centre, and the other one took a slight detour through the town centre. So obviously, we went through the town centre. Half the time, we didn't make it to the class anyway. I guess this was the start of my bunking off, which probably lasted the first four years of my secondary schooling. We had a system for bunking off. We go into registration, and then after registration, once we got fed out to go to a next class, depending on whether we liked the class or not, depending on whether we bunked off. Once we decided to bunk off, the problem was where to go. If we hung around the school, the problem was you may get caught. The problem was getting out of the school without being seen. Sometimes I used to use a note from my mum, written by one of my mates, saying that I've got a dentist appointment and just walk out of school brazenly. Other times, we'd find a way of sneaking out whilst moving around the school. It was easy because lots of classes were still going down to Burley. Once we were out of school, we decided that we'd either go down to the woods or into town. Town was normally the favourite because there was more to do down there. And the key is getting back into school for the next registration. Also, if you were stopped in town, you could say that you was on your way down to Burley or you was on your way back to Onslow. Anyway, there wasn't that many classes that we mugged off. And most of the time, we attended classes and just got on with it. As it was the first year, away from school, I managed to get myself a paper round. Um, and I ended up doing a double paper round on a Sunday. This gave me a few bob. I can remember being out one morning on my paper round and racing around on my bike. And as I went past a, a driveway, a car came out and knocked me off my bike, totaled my bike and put a few scratches on me. That made my paper rounds more difficult until I managed to get another bike. Back in those days, you didn't buy a brand new bike. We couldn't afford it. So you ended up going around finding bits of bikes and then building your own in your shed. I'd gone from having a half-decent racing bike to a right old Irons 57. I had a funny old frame with cow horn handlebars, two different size wheels and a funny old gearing system on it that, um, that acted as a brake as well. But at least it served me well. Around about March 1970, a mate of mine lived along the corridor from us on the Baselettes. Tim was his name. He was a couple of years older than me and went to the same school. He had a job on the weekend at a farm over in London Coney and he asked me if I wanted to work there as well. As I was getting a bit fed up with the paper round anyway, taking liberties with my good nature, sticking more and more papers on me, giving me a double round during the week as well. Um, I decided that, yeah, go on, I'll give it a go. So the following weekend, I went with them on a Saturday morning, having given up the paper round, and I went to the farm. When I arrived, I had a chat with the farmer, and he said that he'll give us a go. He said it was two bob an hour. Expect you to work, say, eight to ten hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. Most of the time, you'd be cleaning out the sheds, looking after the cattle, feeding them, moving them round the sheds or moving them out into the pasture 
and then bringing them back in again in the evening. And in the summer holidays, we'll keep you busy with the harvest. So that was it. My weekends were taken up with working on the farm. At the same time, I was still in the Sea Cadets. And I used to go on the Wednesday and Friday nights. And when it came to the summer camp, it was only a week this year, in 1970. And it was going to be up in Montrose, in Scotland, just before you get to Aberdeen. So I'd already booked on to go to that. And I had a word with the farmer. He said, yeah, not a problem for that particular week. It's uh, a little while before we start harvest, so away you go and enjoy yourself. I'd been working down the farm for a couple of months and fallen into a routine. We'd normally do somewhere between 8 and 10 hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. But the farmer always gave us two quid for the weekend, which was great. I had some extra money for my trip to Montrose. School broke up for the summer and I had a week before I went off to Montrose, which meant I could do a week on the farm. That week I earned seven quid. Back in 1970, seven quid was quite a bit of money. But I also had some other money from the other weeks, and I went up to Montrose with about 12 quid in my pocket. I can remember the trip up to Montrose. We as a group had caught a train from Wellington City Station all the way to Edinburgh. It was an overnight train, and it was about six o'clock in the morning we arrived in Edinburgh. And we had about an hour to wait for the train for Aberdeen, which would drop us off at Montrose. So we managed to grab a spot of breakfast in Waverley Station. I guess it was about three hours later that we arrived in Montrose. We were met there by the lieutenant who ran the Sea Cadet unit. He took us round in the minibus to the unit. The accommodation was fairly basic. But we had all we needed. We had a camp cot, a heads and a little galley. After we'd stowed our kit and settled in, we had a quick bite of lunch and then we were taken on an orientation tour round the harbour, the boat shed and the town. That evening, we met the lads from Montrose Unit. We got to know them quite well over the week as they were out training with us. We did quite a lot of rowing. We did quite a lot of sailing in dinghies. And generally nautical stuff. All in all, it was a brilliant week. At the end of the week, we said our goodbyes and we caught the night train back down to Welling Garden City. We were quite exhausted by the time we got home. The following day, I was back at the farm, back into the normal routine of checking up on the cattle. They were up in the fields at this time and we're just a few days from starting the harvest. The farmer had a couple of old ex-army Bedford QL trucks. They showed Tim and I how to drive and he wanted us to drive up to the combine, get the grain and then bring it back into the drying shed. After that, we then went out with a tractor and started the baling. As I recall, it was a good harvest that year. The weather was ideal for it. Tim and I worked really hard and the farmer gave us a decent bonus at the end of the harvest. With the harvest in, and the school holidays almost at an end, my thoughts turned to starting school again. This will be my second year. Arriving in school on the 1st of September, thereabouts, our classroom had moved from the porter cabin. We were now in the main block up on the second floor. We got our new timetables, and as with all new timetables and all start of new school years, it's general chaos and it'll take a week or two for stuff to settle down and for people to know what classes to go to and where to be and at what time. We had a problem this year. 
Burley had finally closed and our ability to, to go between schools had gone. So mugging classes off became that little bit more difficult. However, it didn't stop us trying. My mother, Margaret, was pregnant and was due that September. I'd gone away on Friday the 25th of September with the cadets. And when I arrived back on a Sunday afternoon, I found I'd got a new baby brother, Stuart, who was born on the Saturday. By all accounts, my mother was in a lot of pain and she was crying. Well, I said, what's she bawling about? I almost got a clump for that, but I got a right dressing down from Ron. As I recall, that was probably my last weekend away with the Sea Cadets. Shortly after, I went across and joined the Army Cadets. I was really upset about leaving the Sea Cadets. I'd had a fantastic time over the, the 18 months, almost two years that I was a Sea Cadet, and I was sorry to see it go. However, joining the Army Cadets brought a whole new life for me. In the two years that I was a Sea Cadet, I'd risen to the lofty heights of ordinary cadet, which I suppose equates to around about corporal or lance corporal in the Army Cadets. And when I went across to the Army Cadets, I became a lowly cadet. I found it a challenge at first, adapting to the new way of doing things. The new way of doing drill, having to bend and drive, as opposed to just slipping in, and generally learning new stuff about the army. At that time, the unit was made up of quite a lot of older boys uh, that were probably in their third and fourth years at school. They were quite rough at times, um, but I soon adapted, I soon fitted in, and started to really enjoy the army cadets. There was a few new lads that started around about the same time as me. There's a, a lad called Ron, he became a really good mate of mine, and a bit more about him later. There was Peter. His father was an airline pilot, and he lived over in Hatfield, and I used to catch a lift with him and his mum. And then there was young Mark. His dad was one of the adult instructors. He was a little bit younger than us, but he was a proper little mummy's boy. Although Mark was too young to be a cadet, he used to come along with his mum as she ran the naffy for us. The back end of 1970 was quite busy. With me trying to get used to being an army cadet, I was still working up at the farm on the weekends, getting used to the new term at secondary school and having a new brother and my mother finding it quite difficult being in the masonette, so she was looking at getting a move. Sometime in early 1971, we moved from Stockbridge Close round to Ely Close. Not long after moving in, Ron had a ruck with the AA. Ron had been in the AA for about 25 years, I think, and they had a new management that wanted to change their terms and conditions, and it had meant him losing his pension. So he didn't sign and threw in the towel. Later he got some compensation, but it wasn't the same. Shortly after, he managed to get a job at Sheriff's, which was an animal supplies, farm supplies and a mill. I can't quite remember what happened at the time, but I finished up at the farm around about Easter 1971. This gave me more time to go away at weekends with the army cadets. That Easter, some of the older cadets went to Germany and had 10 days with the Americans and they came back with loads of kit. I would be given the opportunity the following year to go to Germany. I can remember the first time I went to our regimental headquarters at Hemel Hempstead and reading the sign outside it said 4th Cadet Regiment, Beds and Hearts Yeomanry, Royal Artillery. 
They had a 25-pounder over there. Later, it would come over to Wellingarn City and we would be custodians of it. Anyway, more of that later. Back at school, I was still struggling and that was mainly due to my inability to be academic but also because of the class. Because we were lowest of the low, most of the guys in the, in the class weren't overly bright so we tended to muck about an awful lot in class. That's if we were in class. We were still able, able to mug it off. Occasionally, we would get caught in one of our misdemeanours. At that time, they still had corporal punishment in school. And several times, I ended up at the headmaster's or Mr Schofield. Mr Schofield was the teacher that dished out the punishment. He had two methods. The cane. The cane was probably the better of the two. Or he had this plastic slipper. This plastic slipper really, really hurt. He saved that for us real wrongdoers. Although I got the cane several times, it didn't do us any harm really. It just taught us not to get caught in the first place. Summer 1971. My first annual camp with the Army Cadets. We came down to Browndown Camp in Gosport and had a fantastic two weeks. We learnt all sorts of stuff. We were doing section attacks. We were live firing with rifles. I can remember the first time I fired a Lee Enfield 303. Almost broke my shoulder. We also got to fire the Bren gun. And we also had lessons on explosives. They must have been mad letting kids of our age play with plastic explosives and making things blow up. But they did. And... We even had a day out over in Portsmouth, visiting my old haunt of Portsmouth Dockyards. That was a brilliant camp. And then we returned home. I spent the rest of that summer holiday helping Ron. At that time, he was working for sheriffs and driving a little seven and a half ton flatbed truck. And he was going out delivering animal feed to farms. And before I knew it, I was given a job on the loading dock helping to load the vans and the lorries that came in for the animal feed. I used to work at Sheriff's on a Saturday and school holidays, and occasionally I'd go there after school. There was always work to be done, whether it was sweeping up the dock or sweeping up round the machines that used to dress the seed corn. Eventually I got a job actually working on the machine, either loading bags through the hopper or taking them off the conveyor and stacking them on pallets. It was hard graft, but the pay was good. Going into 1972, I'd got my name down to go to Germany that Easter with the cadets. So I was working as much as I could at Sheriff's to save as much money as I could to go to Germany with. A few weeks prior to going to Germany, we were taken over to regimental headquarters in Hemel Hempstead and fitted out with some new uniforms. I had a brand new battle dress and shirt hairy. We had gaiters and ammunition boots. We were also issued with combats. These weren't the camouflage ones. These were the green ones. We also had working dress denims. I'd also been promoted to Lance Bombardier at this time. And along with all the other patches that had to get sewn on, I had the stripes to sew on as well. Easter 1972. With my battle dress all pressed, my boots balled, my kit packed and my passport in hand, I set off with all the other guys 
and we had a special train just for ourselves that took us down to Dover, took us across the channel and then we were on another train all the way to Germany. When we arrived in Germany, we were split up into different groups and my group went off to Munster with the 2nd Battalion, the Grenadier Guards. We had a fantastic time with the guards. They did loads of stuff with us. Apart from the drill, which guards drill is different, but they took us onto the ranges in the 432s, gave us a chance to drive. We went off firing SLRs, GPMGs, rocket launchers, throwing grenades. We had a whale of a time. And we even had some downtime to go into Munster itself. Unbeknown to me at the time, three years later, I would actually be posted to Munster. But more of that later. That ten days with the guards seemed to just flash by and was over before it started, really. Back in good old Blighty and the Easter holidays over, it was time to go back to school. This term was the one that we had to choose which subjects we were going to take in our fourth and fifth year. For me, it was fairly easy. I chose the easiest subjects I could. That term seemed to flash by. We had exams, and although I didn't do brilliantly, I didn't do as bad as I thought I was going to. The first week of the summer holidays in 1972, I was made to go on holiday with my mum and Ron, my two sisters and my brother. We went to the Isle of Wight, to Shanklin, and we were stopping on a holiday park in a caravan. On this holiday park, there was loads of other kids all around our sort of age. It wasn't long until we all split up into different groups. I was going around with a group of a couple of boys and three or four girls. There was one girl I quite fancied. Her name was Frances, and she came from Fulham. She was about a year older than me, but I spent all week chatting her up, chasing her, and towards the end of the week... Everybody was out in the caravan and we managed to sneak back, just the two of us. And we were having a cuddle and a bit of a grope and they all came back in. We were captured. Well, there was a little bit of hell to play, but since it was almost the last day, we were on our way home the following day, so nothing much happened, unfortunately for me. That was the last summer holiday that I went on with the family. The following week, I went away with the cadets on annual camp. We went down to Lydon Hythe and we spent the week mainly doing a bit of range work and learning all about radios, radio procedure and how to set up a radio, how to transmit. That was another very enjoyable camp. And when I got back home, I started back at Sheriff's. I was set to work on the bagging machine with another lad, Dave. This machine would drop down half hundred weight of grain into one of the sacks and then we'd stitch it up and drop it onto the conveyor, and the other one would take the bag off of the conveyor and stack it on a pallet. David got a place to go and join the Royal Marines in the September. Together we worked on this machine, and our best day, we bagged up 24 tonne of sea corn. By the end of that summer, I'd earned a nice little bonus working at Sheriff's. Then it was back to school for the start of my fourth year at Onslow. Because I'd managed to drop a few subjects, my new timetable had a few gaps in it, which meant that I didn't have lessons all the time. So when I didn't have lessons, I'd have a, maybe a double period and I could clear off. Of course, the three periods were supposed to be for study, but we never did. So I spent most of my time 
either at school, down at Sheriff's working, or off at Cadets. One of the older lads at Cadets had a sister, and I started going out with her. Her name was Kim. Kim was a pretty blonde, and she was in the year below me. However, we got on really well, and spent a lot of time together. She was quite clever, and she was in the upper part of the B stream in her year. What she saw in me, I'm not quite sure. Anyway, I used to spend most of my evenings around at her house, and I never got home till sort of 10, 11 o'clock at night. September of 1972, Wellingarn City Detachment took control of the 25-pounder, and there was a team of us that were set to work cleaning the gun and learning all the gun drills, as we were going to be firing a Armistice Day salute over at St Albans Abbey. I'm not sure how it came about, but we were affiliated to the Royal Horse Artillery, and with this connection, we were given the honour of wearing King's Troop Royal Horse Artillery uniform to fire this gun salute. The closer we got to the parade, the more nights we had to put in. And I think it was about the week before, or a week or so before, we were there every night and both weekends, building up to the Armistice Day Parade. That Remembrance Sunday morning, we were over at St Albans really early. We set the gun up some way from the Abbey, and then we were marched up to the Abbey to form a guard of honour for all those who were attending the service. Once everybody had gone into the Abbey for the service, we were marched back down to the gun, ready to fire the salute at 11 o'clock. We fired one round at the start, and we fired a second round at the end of the remembrance. It was a fantastic honour, and it was a really crisp, cold day, and it went off very, very well. 1973 was a difficult year for me. After I'd turned 14... I could go and apply to join the army. So I went over to St Albans recruiting office and I took the test to join the army. I failed. And the recruiting sergeant, he says to me, son, if you can't do better than this, you've got no chance of joining the army. Anyway, I went away. I sat down and had a really good talking to myself. The following Monday, I went back to school and I was like a new pupil. I attended all the classes, and I knuckled down, and I worked hard, and hard, and even harder. Some of the teachers didn't believe it was me. They thought there was an imposter. The upshot of all this hard work eventually got me six CSEs out of seven. My maths, which was potentially my best subject, ended up getting ungraded. They obviously thought I was that good at it. It was some six months later, I went back over to St Albans, this time with Ron, and we sat down and we took the tests, and Ron gave me a few of the answers, which did help out. This time, I passed. Having passed this test, we were then invited to go down to Cosham, to the Army Recruiting Selection Centre, for three days of assessment. I'm happy to say that I came away from there with a certificate saying that I'd got a guaranteed place as a junior soldier at a depot de Queen's Division, starting in September 1974. Having grown up through the 60s, I classed myself as a rocker. I liked rock and roll music, and I was into motorbikes as well. Because I was earning good money down at Sheriff's, I was able to go and buy myself a leather jacket. I also went down to Burton's and had a tailor-made Drape jacket made. It was in a dark blue 
with black velvet cuffs. It was around Easter 1974 that Bill Haley and the Comets was going to be at the Mecca in Stevenage and as a big crowd of us all got together and went up to Stevenage to see them. It was a brilliant night. By the time I'd finished school in the June of 1974, I applied for a, a job at Lone Star, which was a toy factory, which is just across the road from where my nan lived. I started there on a Monday. I was put on a hand press, pressing wheels onto toy cars. It was extremely boring, I must admit, and I got fired three and a half days later for being late back from lunch. The following week, I started at Walco, which is a big department store in Hatfield Town Centre. I lasted two and a half weeks there. They put me in a storeroom with no light, no windows and indoors all the time. I almost went stir crazy. The following week, I managed to get a job over at De Havilland's in the canteen. And I spent three weeks going round a factory with a tea trolley in the morning and the afternoon. Effectively, I was a tea boy. The week before I was due to go to Bassingbourne, I took the week off. So that week I didn't earn any money at all. Some weeks later, after getting to Bassingbourne, the taxman sent me a message or sent me a letter asking me why I hadn't paid tax and national insurance that particular week. I had to write back to tell him that I'd taken the week off, unpaid. So, it was the 5th of August 1974 that I took the Queen's shilling. And for now, this is the end of episode two of The Life and Times of Tim Hill. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like and share it with your friends. Oh, oh, oh.